Good morning. Uh, it's a, a joy to be with uh, God's people. Uh, it is indeed well uh, with my soul as we are gathered together here. Um, this morning in our, in our gospel lesson, uh, perhaps you're, you're listening and, and you heard of, of all the things that Jesus is sort of foretelling as these signs of the end of the age. And you get to the end and we say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And, and maybe you're more inclined to say, I guess so. Uh, because in that text, there's really not a great deal of gospel. In fact, uh, but for a few sentences, it's a pretty tough, pretty rough outlook for the future that Jesus foretells for his followers. He foretells uh, really ultimately chaos and, and destruction. The world as we know it sort of falling apart at the seams. This reading doesn't really strike us as, as something where we think, ah, yes, the gospel, my, my heart leaps for joy hearing these words. But perhaps it causes our hearts to be, to be saddened, to be worried, to be anxious about the coming signs. Listen again to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings... And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus walks out of the temple with his disciples. <coughs> and one of the disciples, he looks up and he sees these great structures that are built to sort of worship and magnify the God of Israel. He says, Jesus, look, look how beautiful this temple is. Isn't this something? Jesus, somewhat unimpressed by it all, just simply responds, don't get too attached to the temple. Because what you see here, there, there won't be a single stone standing. Now we see this all fulfilled in AD 70 when Rome comes, they ransack Jerusalem, and the temple is, is utterly destroyed. You have to put yourself in, in the shoes of the disciples hearing these words that, that the temple is going to be destroyed, that this is rather an audacious claim for a Jew in Israel in the first century. Because what is the place, what is the structure, what is the thing that is central to the worship life of God's people in Israel at this time? It's the temple. What is it for God's people that is the sure sign of God's presence and favor with them? It's the temple in Jerusalem that God promised to dwell here in this place. And so Jesus is saying to people who held this view, this temple that you are so attached to, this temple that is at the center of your religious tradition and religious and worship life, this temple that is the sign for you that God is present and you have His favor, it is going to be destroyed. It is going to crumble and fall apart. So naturally, Jesus' disciples, they're, they're taken aback by this. And so as they continue to, to journey on, of course, they, they want to know some more details about this. Verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, 
Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. And these are but the beginning of the birth pains. <coughs> Jesus' disciples ask him, When is this temple destruction going to take place? He, he doesn't really give them a, a time frame. Now, it's natural that they would want one, right? Even the plumber tells us he's going to be here between 8 and noon. (laughs) Maybe you could give us a window of when this is going to take place, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't tell them when, but he tells them the signs, the what to expect. He says, false Christs will come. People will come saying, I am he, and they'll lead people astray, but be on your guard Be ready, be watchful. And wars are going to arise, and and kingdom is going to rise against kingdom, and there's going to be earthquakes and natural disaster. All of these things are going to come about, and this is only the beginning. Now once again, keep in mind that Jesus' ministry takes place in the first century in Israel during a time often referred to as the Pax Romana. Anyone familiar with that phrase? Pax Romana, this time often referred to the, the Roman peace. And it's, it was this time period of about, of about 200 years when the Roman Empire actually experienced a great deal of peace and stability. There wasn't much warfare. And so even though Israel <coughs> was still occupied by the Roman Empire, even though they didn't have the freedom that they once enjoyed under the reign of King David and Solomon. They enjoyed a time of of relative peace, relative stability. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples is this time that you're experiencing, this time of peace and security, this time of, of political stability is going to pass away. Nation will rise against nation. Warfare will be waged across the globe. Earthquakes and natural natural disasters will rip life apart at the seams. So not only is the religious life and tradition of Israel going to crumble, the political stability that they've experienced is going to fall apart and pass away. And if all of those things are falling apart, then you can expect that God's people are going to experience some personal turmoil. Verse 9, but be on your guard. Sort of a refrain that appears again and again in Jesus' words here. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. 
And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. (coughs) Jesus promises here, not only is the religious life of God's people crumbling and falling apart as the temple is destroyed, but the political stability and security that they're maybe tempted to put their trust in is crumbling as well. And when those two things come about, certainly some turmoil for individuals is going to take place. You're going to be delivered over to synagogues and rulers. And it's all taking place, yes, for God's purposes, for you to give witness to the gospel as you're called to do. But families are going to be torn apart. Jesus is telling his followers at every single level of life, religious, political, personal, things are crumbling. Things are being cast down and destroyed. But this crumbling isn't going to last forever. It's going to come to an end. And so the one who endures this age of destruction will be saved. Which ought to cause us to ask ourselves, are we clinging to things that are crumbling? Things that are falling apart and being destroyed? Or are we clinging to something that will endure? Are we clinging to things that are crumbling or to things that will endure? I remember when I was a high school student, my my teenage years, I spent a lot of time clinging to sort of one thing. And it was a very, I guess, kind of selfish pursuit. But that thing for me was baseball. My entire life operated around the game of baseball. <coughs> now, if you're, you're a baseball fan, maybe you're like, I could see why. If you're not a baseball fan, you're like, I don't get it. It's the most boring game ever. <laughs> but wherever you stand on the game of baseball, my life operated around baseball. So, obviously, during the spring season, it was practice and games and practice and games. And once the spring season ended and and summer vacation began, it was more of the same, practice and games. And the time spent in school was maybe either spent at work, but a lot of times it was spent training and doing drills, getting ready for practice and games and practice and games. And when the summer season came to an end and everyone else was looking to go play football or soccer, for me it was more of the same. It was fall league and and practice and games. And everything revolved around baseball. And for those six months out of the year where the ground was frozen in Minnesota and I couldn't be outside playing, I was cooped up in the gym late at night, throwing drills, hitting drills, training. Everything revolved around baseball. And that was the thing that I clung to as my hope for the future. That if I worked hard enough and performed hard enough, I could earn a scholarship. And if I earned a scholarship, I could get noticed. And and maybe, just maybe, if I put in the right work and the right (coughs) had the right circumstances, 
that there could be a future for me in baseball. Now the problem with that is, is I was a pretty good baseball player, but I was never a great baseball player. And so every time I didn't perform well, every time my team lost, it felt like my life was falling apart. I was clinging to baseball as this hope for the future. And that thing was crumbling. And because that thing was crumbling, my life was crumbling. It was falling apart. I was a mess. And you see, the reality is, is, is our lives are really only secure as the thing that we cling to, the thing that we put our trust and our hope in. And so if we're putting our trust in something that's crumbling, our lives are probably going to fall apart as well. And so if we're putting our hope in something like the temple, some vestige of religious traditionalism, this, this vision of the way things used to be, if we could just get back to the good old days the reality is, is that's crumbling. Our God is not calling us to look backwards to what once was, but he's calling us to move forward, to endure, to be faithful in the midst of the chaos and destruction of life. For looking to some earthly, political, man-made ruler and system for our hope, those things are crumbling and they're falling apart. Because there is no man-made system or nation that is really the hope of the world. Or if we see the chaos all around us and we see religious traditionalism falling apart, if we see some kind of nationalist dream falling apart, maybe we're just tempted to say, you know what, I can't control anything else, so I'm just going to focus on me. But the reality is, is that each and every one of us in our sin and our brokenness on our own, our lives are falling apart. Are we clinging to something that's just crumbling? Or are we clinging to something that will endure? Because our lives are only as secure as the thing that we cling to. And the reality is, is that when we're clinging to something that's falling apart, that is when we're most likely to do the thing that Jesus warns here, and that is, be led astray. Right? When we're clinging to something that's falling apart, that's crumbling at the seams, we're liable to listen to any voice that promises to rebuild that thing for us. Put your trust in me, I'll, I'll rebuild those old ways. I'll rebuild that nation, I'll, I'll make you wealthy. When we're clinging to crumbling things, we're likely to be led astray. And the call that Jesus gives us here is to remain faithful, to endure the chaos and the destruction. Because if we endure, we will be saved. Because the destruction is coming to an end. And when the destruction comes to an end... There is only one thing that will be left standing. And the one thing that will be left standing is that man who has entered into the chaos and the destruction and taken it on himself 
and made it his own. Isn't that what is at the center of the cross? The cross of Jesus is Jesus entering into the destruction and the crumbling scenes of death. It's Jesus being heaped with the guilt of mankind. It's Jesus going in and going face to face with all of those things that our sin wants to protect. Right? Jesus on the cross, he goes head to head with the people trying to defend this religious tradition and way of life. And so what do they do? They hand him over to be crucified. It's Jesus who goes to the cross as the scapegoat for people saying, if, we, if they follow this man, the political system will fall apart. There will be an uprising, so we're better off killing him than letting him live. Jesus goes to the cross for people trying to protect their individual well-being, their wealth and their status. And he embraces all of that. He embraces that destruction and he rises victorious over it. And the promise that Jesus makes to every single person who puts their trust in him is that if you let go of the things that are crumbling and cling to him, you will be victorious just like he is. You will have victory over sin and death just like he He does. So Jesus' call in these words first is to just let go. Let go of the things that are crumbling, the things that are wasting away and being destroyed. Let go of of dreams of of the good old days of, of how it used to be. Let go of some sort of political dream where we can create our own man-made utopia. Let go of individual status or wealth or well-being. Let it all go because those things are crumbling and being destroyed. Let go of those things so you can cling to the one thing that will last. The one thing that will endure to the end. Let it all go and cling to the one who has been destroyed yet has still risen victorious. Let go of what's crumbling and cling only to Jesus. Amen?